Welcome back to Take Time with Maeve Atchison. I am so excited about my guest this week. Um, the, I'm joined today by the lovely Norma O'Kelly, who is an executive and life coach. Um, she also works in marketing and tech. And like myself, she is a big lover of the sea and considers herself a, a Wim Hofer, which I love. I love that that uh, coin of phrase. Um, so Norma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Maeve. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be on. And I, I feel so weird saying that I'm excited to talk about our topic because our topic today is grief. I think that it probably sounds unusual to people for people to hear me say I'm excited to talk about it. But I, I get excited to talk about topics that I think are important. And I think that this is important. So that's why I suppose I say that I'm excited about it. Um, yeah. And, and how I suppose the reason I want, I, I suppose everything I list off there of all of the things that you do, we could be talking of together today about one of a million a million subjects I feel but the reason I wanted to talk to you about grief is because you share some really lovely content online um on Instagram about grief which I which really kind of resonated with me um a lot of which I have saved into my saved items on Instagram um and passed on to other people um but you're also really open about your own story and experience with grief um since your mum passed away so if you're comfortable sharing with us today, I would love to kind of hear about how you kind of, I suppose, ended up kind of sharing your story online and and um, how that was for you. Cool, yeah. So yeah, as you mentioned, my mother died last March, 2019, and she had been sick for like 16 months before that. So she, so it was the Christmas, it'll be two years this Christmas, I'd say that she got sick and um or even three and my dates it's funny how as the time goes on especially in a pandemic our, our timelines are all over the place but um yeah it's I was had was one month or two months into my coaching diploma when she got sick and it was absolutely that experience along with her I suppose initial diagnosis and very soon after like it was only we were only kind of sitting with her diagnosis a few weeks when I was pulled aside and told like it was inevitable that she was going to die to the point we thought she was going to die much sooner than she did. She, I love that she proved us wrong. Um, but from that moment, I was plunged into, I suppose, a type of grief or anticipatory grief. I didn't even know what it was, but there was something around being coaching was around this whole idea of being vulnerable and sharing and the more I bottled it up at the start out of pure fear, like thrown into this world of like, of, you know, therapies when it comes to cancer, I just wasn't dealing with it initially. And it literally it, it came to a point that it was holding me back from coaching that I wasn't able to kind of talk about my fear of her imminent death. Um, and it was around the same time that I was reading a lot of Brené Brown, which I'm sure uh, many of your listeners are familiar with. Um, and as much as she can resonate in so many different topics for me it was around empathy and vulnerability. And this one line of one of her books was like, the real badasses in the world are people who wade into discomfort and vulnerability. And that for me was this like calling of like, I gotta share got to speak up. I have a voice. I'm really lucky. Even where I work, I have a voice. I present a lot. 
And I was like, I have the ability to share this experience. And at that point, I wasn't ready to share really what was going on with my mother's, like she hers, her illness at that time, because she wanted things to be very private. So it was very respectful for her while she was alive. But as the time went on, I was able to talk to my friends, of course, um, and my peer coaches. I was definitely speaking kind of about from a place of the heart and I would never have been somebody who would have openly cried in public I was myself and my best friend called ourselves the stony hinges because we used to have this like annual cry or biannual cry and it'd be like get it all out we were never ones to cry in public and now the tide totally shifted um, when I trained to be a coach that I felt the need to share and I did I suppose as, as the time went on and, and we were getting closer to our imminent death I was so scared I was so afraid like you're always you always you know worry about your parents dying and what that's going to impact you but nobody prepares you for grief nor can you prepare for real real rawness of grief that happens like in, in the immediate aftermath of somebody dying and I I suppose I in my mind stupidly like and not to berate myself but like I thought I could prepare myself for grief and my mother was so fortunate she spent five weeks in hospice care and hospice care like so many people don't get the luxury of dying in a hospice um, and we were so lucky where we're from in Limerick should be amazing amazing hospice care in Milford and that did help prepare us for her death but it definitely didn't prepare you for the grief for the rawness that came afterwards and I think mine was so particularly raw as as Manny's are at that stage I just felt fuck it this is so hard how don't people talk about this I gotta share this this is again I like I wouldn't have had a lot of Instagram followers at the time there was nothing like that but it was like this need of like why aren't more people talking about this it's like we're in this club now and, and like life is different it can never be the same I, I have to talk about it I just felt compelled at that point to share my experience and share the rawness and share the black humor that came with it, share the, I definitely had a midlife crisis. I got lots of piercings and tattoos and like absolutely <laughs> those first few months, I like, I was a teenager. I'd taken a sabbatical from work. So I had this freedom that I hadn't had in the 16 months beforehand because I'd been caring for her. So in that, and I, I write about, I wrote about a piece around freedom to grieve. I really felt it was my place to share. So that's kind of where it all started, I suppose long story short <laughs> no that's amazing um there's so much in that but you know and first of all I just love to say thank you for sharing that with me I really appreciate your kind of honesty and and your generosity with sharing your story because I think that's a huge part of it like um you know other people benefit from it but you know it's it really kind of takes the moment in yourself to be able to share your story because it is private and it is personal um but I, I'm the same. I, I like I, I feel the same as you in sense of like, why do we not talk about it more? And um, my mom in particular was really good at, at talking about grief. And, you know, that comes from the fact that she is the therapist and, you know, she works with a lot of people through grief. Um, but I always remember that even when I was young, young, like my mom just I had such a good understanding of, you know, when other people are going through stuff. My mom was so kind of good to explain, you know, about different areas and aspects of grief. Um. And I always kind of like I remember as I got older, kind of meeting people who maybe when I was in my early 20s, like people saying that they people my age who had like never been to a funeral before or things like that. And I always thought that was so and they were they were scared of funerals. They were scared of this idea um, of of going to a funeral home and different things like that. 
and it was so kind of unusual to me and I kind of thought well you know there's such a process and it's very you know there's a very clear process what, what happens and um and I think that's a big thing in Ireland that our kind of grieving process is very tied into the ceremonial side of funerals I'm not sure if you feel this the same about that I'm, I don't know if a bad thing but it's it's they like go hand in hand we know how to grieve in the process of a funeral ceremony that point, yeah like it's we're so good at it in Ireland and and even and I suppose we'll touch on how hard it's been for people this year because they've been deprived of that but yeah the ceremony is huge um my father loves a funeral and is a very dedicated followers and and attender of a funeral for his whole life so we had expected a big funeral and it turned out to be actually my mother who we weren't even where we live is not where we were originally from we were blow-ins we broke records and there was so much healing in that ceremony and that outpouring of grief combined it's a shared grief for the same person and you're just taken aback that the impact of one person's life can have on everything and it's this pause in time you're like you're blown away by it and yes you're it's like the world gives you permission to grieve around that time as well it's like the world stands back in, in particular for the direct family and there's a lot of like I suppose a little bit of walking on eggshells for those who are uncomfortable with it, but for those who are well familiar with it um they just surround you in this like bath of of comfort well and, and food <laughs> lots of food and um comes with that too and everyone wants to do something to support you and I remember a friend of mine in prepared like I you know she had lost her dad and she said that first year or that first that moment in time enjoy it because you have this permission like the society gives you permission to grieve in particularly around the funeral but it, I think our a lot of as much as Ireland is great for that after that like two three weeks later there is nothing like it's this empty empty void where nobody's at your door I had I've had family who ref- I can't say the word refuse but struggle to come to our house anymore and nobody comes to visit now pre-covid even um because they don't want to be in that silence of, of the house whereas those first few weeks people surrounded you and I do think a lot of people who've lost somebody find that really hard it does go away quite quickly um and that's why the ritual of the month's mind is great and the anniversaries and that again you have this permission again to kind of cry or speak about the person and when that's not there and that's why I really 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 I have such compassion and empathy for people this year who are not getting the funerals that they need for their grief but also to mark the passing of somebody that they really really love and that outpouring and that comfort and I really yeah my heart goes out to people in in these COVID times that, that that's not possible knowing how important it was for my my grief last year. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's, I, I feel the same. And it's, you know, it's such a powerful kind of um, t- time where you're you're just kind of, as you said, it's like socially acceptable and you're just given this opportunity to just like grieve and really, you know, have an outpour of emotions, whatever it is, good or bad. It's also the same as the sitting around and telling the amazing stories and the memories and laughing and then crying and everything. Between. And it's really powerful. And it's, it's I think it's a really tough year. Um, for, for anyone who's lost someone um, to not have that. Um, but but as you said, you touched on there, you know, in terms of while it's a great kind of healer and it's a great ceremony, 
um, there is that that's the kind of concern in bit. It's the Irish way of like, well, that's done now and we've closed the book. So uh, Norma's grand or Maeve's grand and off we go and I'll see it, you know, whenever. But it's the actually the weeks afterwards. And it's like, as you said, it's like the permission to cry and the permission to, to grieve. But it's like, where is the normality in a couple of months later or whatever it is, bursting into tears for no reason, for the simple reason that you've been overcome with the fact that you miss the person that you've lost. But people are so uncomfortable with that, like with the randomness of it. It's like, no, no, you can you can be upset within the parameters that society have given you. But outside of that, none of us know what to do. Oh, no, you're not. Yeah. And, I, and I think I think for the person, sometimes that's the stories we've told herself. But it's conditioning, as you say, it's our society conditioning. And people are very uncomfortable with the grief that follows after that because they just don't know what to do with it. And even I, who have experienced grief and I'm in the club, struggle as well for other people because nobody knows what to say you know and they don't want to be the one to make to make you cry and the irony is the ones that are like well I don't want to bring it up as if we've forgotten <laughs> you're like oh yeah I totally forgot my mother died there you know um you don't know, remind I mean, anyone <laughs> yeah but I read a brilliant piece there recently and it's like it's you know like when people compare grief you know when somebody's um I don't know, like I, you know, when somebody loses a pet or something and you're like, but my mother died, you know, and, you know, it's this comparison. It's nothing. The comparison comes for you just want to be acknowledged. You just want to be heard. And your grief, the expression was that your grief is witnessed. And um, and sometimes when you're you start comparing, you know, a few months down the line, because it's that lack of like witnessing of the grief. Um, and I think when you're in the club, you kind of get it because you're coexisting in this. You're existing in a kind of both witnessing at the same time because you've been there. Um, so it's yeah. a little bit different. But it's so unique. Grief is so unique for everybody. You know, there's no two alike. There's no two circumstances alike, you know. And that's exactly it. I think sometimes when people are like, well, they don't know what to say or they don't want to be. And that thing would be a bit like, I don't want to be the one that make makes you cry. But like sometimes I'm like, do people realize that that's actually part of healing like if you make cry in inverted commas like it's actually it could be like well that person really needed to go cry and you did a good thing by giving them a chance to let it out and it's like this thing of like oh god and you remember the person you yeah. remembered the person you're like like I I ring my my mother's sisters and and her family just to hear somebody say her name or like mention her you're like seeking out somebody somebody's remembered her you know we haven't all just moved on with our lives you know um and it, it is that you're like and to cry is yeah most of the time when it happens it's probably been building up and you're you need that release you know um, yeah and I I I don't think I was in a few years ago I would have been in that place any types of grief I experienced prior to my mother's death and we've all experienced grief in, in other aspects I didn't know that crying was such a, a necessary part it might have come naturally Whereas now I nearly, you know, I listen to a podcast or trigger it because I know I need it, um, you know, and it's coming. It's been building. It's that, you know, the wave is the crescendo of that wave is ready to crash, but you haven't let it. You haven't given it the place and the time. And that's that Western society telling us, be happy, be positive. You can't be sad. And we've played into this bullshit story in our head. Um, and that's all it is. It's just all a bullshit story where, you know, let yourself give yourself that space to do whatever you need to do. 
And I'm such a crier. And like, I'm thinking of some of my close friends who are listening to this going, yeah, like, I love a good cry. Because I just think, but like, I think it's like so useful for so many different things. But I, I'll like have a little cry and then I'll be like, you know, I'm not like, right, that was great now. Um, <laughs> but I love what you said there because I think sometimes um, people have this thing about not crying almost being like a badge of honor it's like oh, yeah, yeah I haven't cried in two years and I'm like yeah, and I was that person I was that I was really that person um like my best friend and I used joke about it you'd never get us to cry no um and it's I'm the total opposite now which you know I was trying to tell, tell somebody the other day I was like but I've really changed and they're like no you haven't because they've convinced themselves I am. and I was like no I really have because I'm so much more comfortable with all the range of emotions including the the laughter you know it's like you know that I love that expression like you know you can't have light without darkness or you can't have you know rain without rainbows and all of that you know um and what do you think like so when you think back to that that used to be your mindset like oh you'll never get a cry out of me do you think it came from like a place of if that you equated be not being a crier meant you were like strong or I always just wonder like what's the kind of like what to be equated to in our minds and it's like to be I don't even think I was smart enough to get to (laughs) (laughs) um I think it was I think coaching taught me as well that you know it's kind of a really good coaching session it's when somebody cries and I was like okay there's something in this um I'm gonna let it all go because if I don't let it go they won't let it go what am I holding back you know, it's more the curiosity factor that comes with coaching. And I just feel really lucky that I had done that training that has got me to this stage that I'm on a podcast with you talking about grief um, <laughs> on, a, on a bank holiday Monday, you know. So, I love yeah. that. Um, but yeah, as you said, so like everyone's experience, you know, with grief is is unique and totally different. And I think that's something to, important to kind of remember as well. It's like, there's never going to be the right thing to say because everyone's what everyone would wish or could wish that you would say is going to be different for every single person and for that person on any given day or any given hour of that day um and that's like I think that's something to remember and to realize like the the more you talk about someone the loss someone has had with them the more you establish what they need so like I, I think I didn't have I, I don't think I ever really had many friends who or like or experiences with people who kind of particularly, you know, um, grieved with humor. And then I had a friend in the last couple of years who um, it was very it's just a very humorous person anyway. And like humor, humor was a big thing, part of like our kind of dynamic in talking about their loss. And but I had to establish that, like I had to kind of learn that from talking to them and then realizing, OK, this is they're comfortable with this and this is how they're doing it. And like, you know, it's established a great kind of part of us being able to talk about the person they've lost in it. And I love that. So what I'm saying is like, you don't figure out what to say unless you start to say something. Like you just have to say totally. something. And, yeah, and it's it's a place of trust then, isn't it? Um, like there's a few women in work and we've, we're we part of the DMC, uh, the Dead Mothers Club. Um, all our mothers died in 2019. And like we're loving the name of like our internal nickname DMC because like nobody else knows and like it's and total humor has to be and that's why you know like the afterlife you know that um Ricky Gervais I love that show like so dark and I wasn't ready for that for maybe two or three months after my mother died but 
like oh my god I was so excited for season two and that that is not something I would have watched a few years ago um and just the dark dark darkness of the humor and Irish people as well like death and humor have to go hand in hand for our culture um and you know even when my grandmother died like I still remember the jokes just before we closed her coffin um or even for my mother like we still there's some hilarious family jokes that happened during my mother's um funeral and also I don't know if you're familiar with the podcast Griefcast so like she interviews comedians about death it is hilarious like you're crying laughing all in the same space and again as you say you're not always ready for that and it's not always appropriate for the person um you know but it's it it, it just it is that's where the you're in that club together and you'll bond you'll attract like with like you know like like any experiences in life um so but trust is a huge factor to get to that place to be able to go there um and the ones that aren't in the club if they went there you're like sorry excuse me you know <laughs> it's this whole like what are, you, what are you saying here um so yeah it's very important but yeah it's it's a it's the part I wasn't prepared for and like I I would be somebody who enjoys a laugh like I would class myself as a bit of a messer at heart so I'm glad that I've had uh, humor as a part of this grief journey I would talk about. You mentioned um an anticipatory grief am I saying that correctly? Yeah yeah anticipatory grief. Um, yeah. How how was that for you you know I suppose that's kind of I suppose that's an extra layer of grief that we don't talk about or we're not taught about in life um yeah. and as you said you kind of didn't know what it was at the time was it kind of over time you realized like I was grieving for my mother even before I lost her yeah totally yeah I didn't know what it was at the time but when I heard about what it was I was like oh yeah that's what I was going through and and they themselves are going through too if they know they have imminent death like um and it's really uncomfortable to be a part of that, whatever about your own grief, like when they know. But yeah, I, as I said, I was told very early on, like long before she died, I was, this is where I have a lot of like, I suppose still a lot of anger, like towards medical science, like where I was brought in very early on, taken aside and told, like prepared the family, like she's going to be dead in the next few days. And that was, you know, 14, 15 months before she died. So I was constantly living fear that she would die all the time. And it was crippling. Like I, I, those periods where I couldn't work, I used to have to take a few weeks off and she would have been really sick at the same time and I was caring at the same time. So you just have these range of emotions and you're just like in a washing machine of emotion all the time. But yet when you're caring, you kind of need to live in the present, kind of like minding anyone if it's a child or somebody who's sick you're really brought into the present because there's needs that are needed right there and then but then when it comes crashing down or you know something happens that sets you off um it's just so overwhelming that you're like you can't catch your breath I like I have a photograph of myself 12 days before my mother died um and it's on my Instagram feed and like I don't even look like me like I look as if I've like been in a car crash or something like I was just like I wasn't breathing I wasn't eating right I wasn't there was self-care for somebody who professed to talk about it so much even I wasn't able to self-care like I I, I was surviving especially kind of towards the end and um, yeah so it's 
in some ways, when the actual death happened, there was this, that anticipatory grief moves into another place and there's not that fear. Like I lived in fear all the time that she would die in her sleep or she would die in pain or, you know, and that I was the sole care to make it better. So it's, it was all really, it's really messed up, kind of like messy, messy gray period. And I know other people who are caring or, you know, their parents are in long-term care for years. And like, I couldn't, like that was 16 months I had that. I, I couldn't even begin to thank people who've had years of kind of, I suppose, grieving people while they're still alive. Um, it's, it is something, yeah, I still, I don't even think I've gotten my head around it because yeah, as I said, you move into this new place of a different type of grief when, once they do die, then it's very different. Something you mentioned on Instagram, I think it was lately, um, it might've been a quote that you shared, but it was about the use of past tense or um, like present tense when it comes to someone that you've lost. And that really struck a chord with me because I think it was like, you never have to um, start, you, was it, you never have to stop using the present tense. I think that's what, how it was. Yep. But, um, that really resonated with me because I always think that. And I, I was writing a card for someone recently um, who's um, who had had someone p- pass away and I, I didn't know that like it was their dad I didn't know their dad and I was trying to phrase you know that I'd like from that ex told speak so highly of him he sounds like a lovely man and I was like sounds like that's like present tense is that and I it was like hung up on it like I was looking at the card and I was like I don't know I don't want to say like I don't want to move into the past tense in this yeah. card and actually I, I wrote a poem for a friend of mine for their birthday and made reference to um to their mum who had passed away in the poem and again like I used present tense in it because that's what I wanted to do but I had someone read the poem before like I was finished it to see like how it read and someone said to me well you know like it doesn't really read like her her mum is dead because you know it's in the present tense and I was like well I don't really care if you don't know that her mother's dead it's so many about that it's the poems for her yeah reader yeah yeah I was like I'm like no the audience she knows so (laughs) but you know but it was that I was like well I I really felt like present tense was the right thing to say but that was in my mind that 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 kind of oh it doesn't sound like it doesn't really read correctly um about the poem was in my mind when I was writing the card I was like hung up on like what tense to you no and there's so much vocabulary around death that needs that is linked with shame and there's so much even like I'm really I'm so like morbid I'm like use the word dead they're not lost or they haven't passed um but at the same time I I I do I I still would say sorry to hear such and such passed away or like it's also ingrained in us um so I, I I think sometimes if people are that's so worried that then they can't be present for the other person and it's really not about your stuff or your shit like it's about them um and it's that witnessing of their grief so i i use both present and past still with my mother interchangeably um and i i'm really comfortable in talking about her like she was a, a hardcore part of all my conversations she was very funny she was a very funny funny woman see and i have said just was their past tense um really really she was hilarious without ever knowing it so she was a part of a lot of my storytelling and and I bring her up a lot and sometimes I do catch myself talking in the present about her and I know I can tell the other person has kind of recoiled a little bit like 
you know, um, worried about me. She she hasn't really copped on, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. It's, it, it, it is, I think, and particularly in those early days, Brendan, um, uh, Brendan Grace's daughter um, was recently interviewed and she talks a lot about Brendan and she's, I'm also a Reiki master and she's really big into kind of spirituality and she, they still refer to Brendan Grace in the present because he is with them. And she very much talks about him being with her all the time and in very much in the present. And I felt there was something in that. I was like, that's really, that's really powerful because I do believe in an afterlife. And again, that's not for everyone. So I do believe in their presence when they're there. So then if they're present, that means they're present. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'm playing on words here, but you get you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and I'm with you. And that's, I think that's why, you know, and, and I understand what you mean about switching in between. Cause I think that's naturally like in a story, you'd be like, oh, well, they were very like this. And, you know, um, you know, I could understand how the past sense in that sense. But then I think that's where the, it's exactly that, that um, in both contexts where of those contexts where I was trying to kind of decide what to use, it was very much talking about how the person I felt was like still around them. So for me, it was like, I really want to use the presence present tense in it but I just loved that you were sharing that like you, you don't have to you know you don't have to do anything there's no there's no, there's wrong, no wrong there's no rules and if you're explaining it's coming from a place of fear and just like I always say it anyway it's like do you and if you're comfortable in sharing that there's no right or wrong there's no handbook to grief there's no handbook to death you know, we're lucky we live in a democracy. We can speak openly without fear of repercussion. Um, and I think for those that are comfortable, like do it your way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's this whole, for me, there's been this awakening of like, I get to, my mother doesn't get to, you know, share her voice or go for a walk on the beach or like, you know, experience the way things I experience. Like when there's death, life is so pulsatingly real and alive after death. I came out of the hospice one morning and I've never, it was the dawn chorus. I've never heard birds so alive when I've just come from a place of such death. And it was this extremes that now exist in my life that I pinch me moments of like, but I'm alive. I get to be alive. I get to, I get to do all these things. I can be really sad or I can go out and get to because like I know my mother is like she's a great walker she's still walking paces in heaven that it's like well I get to experience this for real and get out there like and stop you know this whole it's not I'm not stopping myself from being sad or feeling sorry for myself but that I want to really 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 embrace the life I want for myself now without any restrictions whether that's speaking about grief or just living the life that I want to live that this real renaissance of kind of like I'm going to say it like if you world like this is who I am now and I'm not a sh- I'm not afraid to use my voice or share my life or live my life purpose because I'm really lucky enough I'm alive I get to and I think you have to be close to death to I don't think I would have gotten to that point as quick as I have in my life you know um, to really get there I love that I think that was put beautifully and I think you've I love that you made the kind of clear connection it's like to have gotten something like a positive outlook or you know on life but it's not trying to um you know 
diminish your grief or your the sadness when it comes up but it's actually just like this like I suppose appreciating like the, the zest or a zealous for life that you know that you get to have and you know brings to mind that that quote that it's a privilege you know to grow old uh, it's a privilege that not everyone gets and you know I I firmly I believe in that I don't even know I'm just gonna go down a rabbit hole with where, where I was gonna go with that but that was beautiful is what I'm trying to say um something else I wanted to touch on when we decided we were gonna talk about grief was disenfranchised grief um which obviously is a huge topic we could probably do a whole episode on its own about it um but it's something that I think like again because we don't we're not all that comfortable talking about grief um, in a lot of ways, it's definitely something I didn't know about at all until it came up in my studies in um, in college. But it's essentially like the the idea of a loss outside of just of, of death um, and it's connected to when someone dies. But also it can just be, you know, loss in general, I suppose. But it, the whole kind of concept is that you still go through the same stages of grief as you would when someone dies in with disenfranchised, disenfranchised grief. So maybe... Um, when you do lose a loved one, also the loss of, you know, the future and what, what you won't have, you know, what you could have had or the loss of a particular kind of feeling or um, outside of actually losing a loved one, it can be the loss of anything and that you then are grieving that. Um, and I think it's something that, if, like, I might share a little bit about it on Instagram for anyone who, who kind of hasn't heard of it, but I think it's like, particularly poignant this year when with kind of COVID and lockdowns and everything that, that has happened between losses of jobs or, you know, security or the sense of the loss of freedom that people have or loss of connection in so many different ways. Um, so it's just something I think is really like important for people to know that we all know that there's like feelings of loss around those things, but like you're allowed to let yourself like grieve those, those elements. And I think as much as there's permission to allow to be grieved that acknowledge it for other people, like be a witness for another person. So for example, like this year, if maybe somebody like this sounds really random, but like love to go to gigs, that was their thing. That was their hobby. And like, that's going to be the last thing to come back. Like sometimes they probably just what somebody wants to just acknowledge that, Oh my God, it must be really, shit for you that you don't get to do that thing this year and you're probably really missing that thing because that defines you or it's a part of who you are and it could be as simple as that that they themselves you know like they probably mightn't use the word grief in that context but a heaviness or a sadness or Mm -hmm. a want or a desire for something that they can't access right now and sometimes it is that like it's the it's okay to be not to be okay and to feel sad or to miss that or and I can come and so like if I track back my life I had lots and lots of grief like my mother lost three babies and I was for the youngest I was very cognizant of a baby that didn't come home um and how that was probably my first experience of real grief and my family were probably grieving and not talking about it because nobody talked about baby loss at that stage but it was only when I experienced the magnitude of the grief of last year that I started tracking all the things I've grieved in my life. Um, but it was back to that point of I wasn't able to process it or feel it because I wasn't allowing myself to because I this fear, you know, people it's like, if I start crying, I'll never stop, you know. Um, 
So dis disfranchised, disenfranchised grief is for those that are, are really, really not even aware of what it is. It's like, what do you, what were you told you can't have? What were you, what, like, what are you like missing out on? Like people who dreamt of traveling this year or can't travel or, you know, it's all of that. And it's like, have you expressed it in the way you can? And like expression can come in so many different guises, you know, um, and you have to find what's right for you. Is it writing, is it sharing? Um, and how critical all of that is. But yeah, it's such a, as you say, it's a whole other topic, but it's so great to call it out because I don't even think people know what it is or how to express it. And that's what I think. I think sometimes like at the, you know, at any stage, but particularly this year, you might have this, like this feeling that you don't know what it is. And I think like a lot of the time, like have a look, maybe it's a feeling of loss for whatever it is that's relevant to you. And as you said, like, even if it's a gig, like that's because that's so tied into your identity. So it's a sense of loss of identity. You know, it's, it's it'll be different for everyone. Why? But I think that sometimes that feeling, this like that niggling feeling and we don't know what it is and it's discomfort and it's sadness and it's loneliness, but you kind of can't get rid of it because you can't even name it. Um, yeah. And I think it comes back to what you said earlier about comparison as well. Like particularly this year, I think anyone who is maybe aware of something that they lost, that they are missing, there's a sense of like, oh, well, I'm, you know, there's so many people who are worse off than me, so I can't. You're diminishing us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, we're, we're all, we're all feeling a sense of loss of something. We're all feeling an array of emotions and we're allowed to, and it's, Stop comparing, stop, guys, stop comparing, comparing yeah. yourself to other people's stuff, okay? <laughs> but, but like we all do, it's like, it's innate in us. It's innate, no matter how, like, higher our conscious or subconscious thinking is, like, it's all, it's also innate in us. So, but it's like, it's just, it's that acknowledgement that, like, this is shit. This is yeah. called what it is and and don't dilute it, you know? Um, and, and I think this kind of, hunting for gratitude or you know seeking gratitude is fantastic but it can dilute some of that um and you can have both both can coexist you can be really really grateful but you can also be really really sad um and like that's the thing about emotion does not you don't feel one exact emotion at one exact time you can feel back in 25 different things at a given time you can feel different things in different parts of your body uh i think in the western world we like we're supposed to finger point what i feel right now you know and um and that's that's just it's not human like we can feel joy with sadness in the same breath um and that's what grief and that's what disenfranchised grief is it's a range of everything it's like throw yourself into that boat bring all the emotions with you and go up and down the waves as you go and that is life and with life comes death and they're all in there together and it's about bringing a community with you to to get you through it um you know that's definitely that's that's been my experience that's beautiful I think that's a good place to leave it so thank you so much um Norma is there anything you well is there anything you would kind of like to leave us with or mention before we kind of wrap up not at all I, I I know I could speak about this topic for for ages um the one thing that has worked for me I'll leave it on this has been the Wim Hof and both of us talked about cold water um, and that's probably what I talk most about on, on, on Instagram, I suppose now, but um, find what your way to navigate grief is. 
and everyone will navigate it differently and different things will come in at different times. But I definitely seeked out what I needed and it, it came my way. And I was really lucky to spend time with, um, breathe with, with Neil on, on Instagram, um, who's the main Wim Hof instructor in South County Dublin. Um, and just some amazing guides that have helped me, but always asking for help. I think mm, you can't, you, you have to experience grief on your own, but you don't need to do it on your own. You can have people with you. So that would be my, I suppose, call to action. Get a, get a, get a therapist, get a, get a coach. Um, and get in the sea. Breathe and throw yourself in on a calm day into some cold water or a cold shower. Yeah. but Maeve thank you so much for having me really really enjoyed it not Thanks at all so thank you and that, I love that you ended on that one because I actually did a um a one day workshop with Neil like last week it was an early birthday present from one of my lovely friends so I actually think I'm going to do the next episode that people are going to listen to after this one is potentially going to be completely about uh Wim Hof and breathing and sea swimming so um if anyone's interested in okay. that stay tuned on that one um but listen thank you so much Norma and thank you all for listening I'll talk to you soon Dumped it up, 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 it up,